Hello, and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. I'm really delighted uh, today to be joined um, by Dr. Tim Mote. Tim is the 15th president at Colorado State University Pueblo. Prior to his role at CSU Pueblo, Tim held the role of provost at Northwest Missouri State University, where he built partnerships with area high schools and community colleges in an effort to try and keep higher education accessible and affordable. He's been actively involved in research and publishing throughout his career, co-authoring four books and publishing more than 60 peer-reviewed journal articles and book chapters. Tim has been acknowledged for his work in transforming the educational landscape um, uh, with the 2017 Top 30 Technologists, Transformers, and Trailblazers Award from the Center for Digital Education. He's also been recognized by Education Magazine as one of its 20 most visionary educator leaders, educational leaders in 2021, and Latino Leaders Magazine as one of the country's most visionary educational leaders in higher education. Tim is a native Iowan. He holds a bachelor's degree in communication from William Jewell College. His master's is in mass communications from Boston University. He's a terrier too. And a doctorate in instructional communication from West Virginia University. I'm really so pleased to welcome uh, Tim to Leaders on Leadership this month as it coincides with the celebration around our country of, of Pride Month. Tim and his husband, Rick, um, has served as the Grand Marshals for the Pueblo Pride Parade in uh, 2022. Tim is known for his dedication to diversity, equity, and inclusion in his work, which includes, most notably, his ability to build partnerships and consensus among diverse stakeholders. It's also a, 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 an important time as um, Tim prepares for a, a transition ahead in his own life. Um, and yet, I'm really delighted that we have Tim Mote with us uh, while he is um, um, the, the president of CSU Pueblo, an institution that has certainly grown leaps and bounds over the course of the last uh, 20 years. And, um, and I know you have taken special joy and pride in, in, in Stuart and leading it over uh, these last many years. So welcome to you, Tim. Thank you, Jay, for having me. I'm delighted to be here. And thank you for that that lovely introduction as well. You are you are most welcome. You are even more than that uh, most deserving. And you know, I I should say um, um, uh, that uh, I'm really grateful that you fit this in. Um, you're doing it um, in time away um, while you're abroad, and um, that means a great deal to me. As I know, this program will mean to our to our listeners. So. Uh, one of the goals that we have is to ask leaders to reflect and consider their own pathways with a hope that something in your story might lift up and inspire others. Tim, I'd love for you to share your journey with our listeners and just share some of the people, the events, the opportunities that helped this extraordinary life of yours unfold. And I know enough about that to just know that it's rich, and so um, uh, and 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 has its own 
diverse, almost separate rivers and chapters that you have lived yeah. in. And so yeah. unfold it for us in whatever yeah. way you'd like. Well, I, I think, Jay, you, you mentioned it during my introduction. I've got to start with my Iowa roots. Um, I grew up on a hog farm in southeast Iowa. Um, and, you know, that that is, um, I, I tell people I'm a very proud Iowan um, because I learned a lot about um, work. I learned a lot about family. I learned a lot about community. When you grow up on a farm, you depend a lot on your neighbors. You depend a lot on each other in order for um, for your, your very survival. You also depend on your brothers and your sisters because you're all in many ways laborers who make a contribution to the farm um, that allows all of you to be successful. So when you lift one, you lift the entire family. And that was a pretty instrumental and that, that remains with me to, to this day. Um, so I think my, my, I, I knew I wanted off the farm. I was not going to be a farmer. I knew that early on. Um, and I've got, I've got two of the brothers who farm and my sister farms, they're all still there. I was the only one who uh, left the farm. And um, my way off the farm was through the military, through the priesthood or through college. And I had an opportunity to, to on a debate scholarship um, to go to William Jewell College in um, Kansas City, Missouri. And there I met a, a, a woman by the name of Dr. Lois Ann Harris. And I attribute much of my success today to her encouragement, her guidance um, as my undergraduate advisor and someone who believed in me and saw uh, in me what I didn't see at the time. Um, but I should also kind of back up a bit because this is this is Pride Month, and I think it's important to know that um, you know growing up in the late seventies um, in rural Iowa is uh, was not um, easy for a young um, gay man, and I knew early on that I was um, something that was incredibly different. And what I knew was, um, I also knew that what I was becoming was um, not a good thing. Um, and and that, that, those messages were very loud and clear to me. And so, um, you know, I, I almost didn't make it out of Iowa. And I think that's also a part of my story that is important. So when I went to William Jewell College on a on debate scholarship, it was a turning point. It was really when I was, um, in many ways, born again, if you will. Um, uh, and, and it really had an opportunity to, to start it all over again uh, with a group of students from across the globe with supportive faculty. And this, this woman, Dr. Lois Ann Harris, who believed in me and saw, saw my potential. Went to college, when I left co college, I, I went to work in the airline industry. I worked for a decade um, at Transworld Airlines. I started off as a flight attendant. I flew for three years and then I went into airline management for another seven years. I was able to see the world. Um, and then I, I developed my business acumen um, pretty young in life and I opened up flight attendant domiciles throughout the United States and um, was responsible for metrics and, and driving results at a very young age and, and people. And I did that for, like I said, a decade. Um, then I had the opportunity to go to graduate school at Boston University. Um, and then immediately I knew that I needed to uh, leave my job. I left my job, a good one. Wow. Um, and I went, back to, I went back to being a graduate student um, 
And then the, my first day in, in, in grad school, I knew I, I wanted to be a professor. I knew it. It was, um, there was no doubt in my mind that that was my pathway forward. I, I worked, uh, I graduated from Boston University. I, I taught there for a couple of years as a, a visiting assistant professor and then went to West Virginia University, finished up my doctoral work there and then all roads led to Texas. And then once I got into the academy, uh, I learned that in the academy, um, you know, the, the big buckets are your teaching, your research. I did a lot of training and development. Um, I did it and then administration. Um, and I was good at administration because I'd done a lot of that in the airline industry. And so I kept getting pulled into administration, but I, I, I worked myself up through the rank and file, an assistant associate, a full tenured faculty member, um, became a department chair, uh, moved to South Texas, uh, to the Rio Grande Valley on the border. Um, and then I had an opportunity uh, to um, uh, be a dean at, at Texas State University, and then ultimately a, a provost at Northwest Missouri, and then that led me to, um, to Colorado State Pueblo. So I did all that with a very supportive spouse and husband um, who's been along for the ride, and um, none of that would have been possible um, without him. Each of the steps along the way, Jay, um, a number of incredibly important mentors. Um, you don't get anywhere in life without good mentors. And um, Dr. Marilyn Root was my mentor at Boston University and remains um, uh, very much important to me today. Uh, Dr. Stephen Beebe at uh, Texas State University where I, I spent a lot of years. And then Dr. John Jasinski at Northwest Missouri State University who prepared me very well for the presidency. Um, and I've, I've had a the last six years of presidency at, at Colorado State and it's been the honor of a lifetime. So um, that is my journey. I've not taken it alone. I've taken it with many people um, and numerous opportunities that I've just grabbed at. And um, it's been a thrill. It's been a thrill. It hasn't always been easy, um, but it has been a thrill. Well, I, thank you for sharing that. So. Um... Uh, so holy, um, uh, and 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 I, no, I mean that. I, I think that richness is something that that folks will will really really appreciate. You know, you yeah. spoke about those um, values cut on the hog farm in southeast Iowa, <laughs> and you know, there's one other dimension of that, and and this is close enough to my own familial story. Is you. Um, there is something humbling about knowing, um, at, just as you said, your livelihood is also dependent on the weather, um, yes. things that we cannot control. Um, and I, 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 uh, I see and sense in you that, uh, that humbleness, um, um, and yet you are working as all great farmers or ranchers do at, at uh, making the most of all the other gifts we are, controlling all the things that we can. And yet, boy, is there anything like a college or university presidency um, uh, to humble you because of the things that are out of your control? Absolutely. And you know, one of the, uh, I want to return to this idea too around um, my dad was my dad was eighth grade educated. My mom was uh, had a, a Catholic education. Um, and my 
my folks were um, just so incredibly loving and um, and supportive. And my dad always said, you know, um, we all put our, our pants on one leg at a time. You are no better. You are no different than anyone else. And that was drilled into us at such an early age that no one is better than anyone else. Yeah. And so whenever there was any kind of an evaluation coming out of our mouths, um, this is what my dad would always say. And so that kept you humble, number one. But yeah. in many ways, this was, um, this was the beginning of, um, if you will, diversity, equity, and inclusion at a very young age from an eighth from a, a an eighth grade educated father who was a farmer, um, but who loved people and understood diversity, and um, and lived it in a time when it was just really um, not a part of the conversation. And so, yeah. All right. Well, and I I I thank you for that, and and yep. for sharing as well the struggles and the, yeah. um, the, 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 you know, the negative messaging that you were receiving. And, yep. and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going way off script here, but again, I, 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 I'm thinking about the, um, you know, I know that, um, um, that, that um, uh, the Catholic church has been an important part of your life. And yep probably was a complicator at that point in time and may still be I don't know but talk a little bit about about you know that sort of route if you would yeah you know it's the, the church has the um, I, I am a I'm still I'm, I'm practicing Catholic and um, I, I during my my doctoral training at West Virginia University I had a nun who was one of my professors and I tried not to be Catholic um, I tried really hard and um, <laughs> And, you know, and I worked a lot with her and what she always told me was that um, she was, she goes, you can, you can try all you want not to be Catholic. And I would encourage you to do that. Um, so she said, ask all the questions um, and do all the exploring and do all the questioning. And, but she goes, I have a feeling you're, you're going to come back probably stronger um, because you really have permission to question everything. Yeah. And I really, I really appreciate that about her and the Catholic church to question yeah. everything that you, you've, you've learned. And then you return to it and you underneath maybe a different set of terms, but, but she also told me that I could not, not be Catholic. And I, I didn't like that at the time, but she's, it's, that's really, um, that's really a big part of it. Um, but it's also, um, it's an important part of my life today. And you're right, it is complicated. And it's hard to explain to people, but life is complicated and nuanced. And, um, and there's just no getting around that. Um, yeah. it's, it's the sense making in our heads and it's what we do um, that brings joy and meaning to your life. And that all comes in different forms. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all very complicated. Uh, well, indeed. Well, again, I I'm just really deeply grateful for your your talking about that. And I I had a a, a similar great professor, former president of the Isle of School of Theology, Harvey Potoff, who said to me, "Ah, questions, 
doubts. <laughs> they are a mature face, necessary and best friend. Um, and uh, I don't think that we're most of us raised in traditions that create that sort of space. I, it's a gift. I wish that uh, more could be given. So, well, yeah. let, me get, let me get us back on track. But thank yeah. you so much for all of that. And, um, you know, it, it, it fits with one of my thematics, and that is who we are as leaders is so much a function of all that went into shaping us. And I think folks here um, who are listening in who may not know you are getting a measure of that. And thank you. I, I, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what in your mind makes a good leader. And by good, I don't mean grade B. I mean virtuous, successful, <laughs> and yeah. effective. Well, it's a, it's a great question and one that I, I think a lot about. And I think it comes down to, um, and nothing real insightful here, but a, a true and authentic caring for other people. Um, I find today that people have very sensitive smell tests. And as a leader, they know when you're being authentic and when you care and when you don't. And I believe that the best leaders are the ones who sincerely care for the people they're leading to the point of loving them. And um, because I think when you are leading on that level, when you are as authentic as you can be, people give you permission to kind of screw up if they believe your intent is good. And I sometimes believe that when you recover from those mistakes, they almost like you and admire you more for having maybe not be as perfect, but it's, it's, it's the realness and it's the authenticity. So I think that's number one is this, it's, it's an authentic caring. Um, you know, Aristotle referred to it as, as goodwill toward others. And, and I think that is so important today. And um, the other piece of this, I think, is the ability to inspire. I think today we are hungry for leaders who can inspire and lift us. Mm -hmm. And so to inspire, you have to know where people are, you know, how to connect people with ideas and ideas to people in a way that causes them to feel. Mm -hmm. And so I think inspiration is, is also important. Um, I think great leaders articulate a vision for where the organization is going. They can see, first of all, they know what good is, they know what good looks like, and they're, they, they're going to take you to good. And they articulate what good looks like, and they articulate what's in front of us. And I need you to join me on that journey, but it's the ability to articulate that in a manner that passes the smell test. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the other one, the final one is just making sure that everyone sees that they play a role, that, that there's, a, there's, a, there's room for them at the table in whatever that vision is. Mm -hmm. um, and this is also important. And if they don't, then they need to self-select out because that's not where you're going. Um, yeah. And I, I think that is so important today is that 
you, we, we're not, not all institutions, we're, we're not all going to be large research institutions. I'm a teaching institution that works with underrepresented students, not funded the way I'd like it to be. We have students who are less prepared for college than I'd like them to be. They're non-affluent, they're underrepresented, they're first gen. That is, that is us. And, and if you're wanting something other than that, um, we're not the place. And so you have to articulate where we're going and that there is a place for you here, but you've got to come to that understanding that that's, that's, that's going to meet your needs as well. That is what I think makes an exceptional leader or, or is a leader with those qualities. I really appreciate that. And, and it feels so profoundly true to me, back to the first point you made around authenticity, yep. that if there is a trust and, and in that authenticity, there are more degrees of freedom, um, more grace is extended. Um, and, um, uh, you know, uh, good Lord, I, I yeah. certainly depended on that. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did too, because as presidents um, or as leaders, there is this, there, you know, you, one day you become the president. And I always tell people that there is a process of becoming a president. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not, it's not your boss saying you're the president. It is yeah. like, I am the president, but then there's like a, maybe another year in front of you before you actually become the president. Um, no one talks about that, uh, but but you evolve and you become the president through that grace, through that making mistakes. Yeah. But it's making sure your ego's in check and um, and keeping it real. Um, yeah, yeah. Tim, I want I want to walk. In a, in a different place than I was intentionally sure. doing. Because I, I, I want to pick up on this thematic of, of you know, the forgiveness, the grace yeah. um, we get. I, I often, an observation that I have or a worry that I have is that leaders from underrepresented groups often may not have as many degrees of freedom or get as much grace. Um, those people who have been pioneers, the first of in, um, you know, in their role in their institution. I, I'd love to hear your reaction to that as, uh, as, a, as, as you know, a supposition, if you will. And, um, and just hear how your walk um, uh, you know, as a gay man has been, um, there's still the vast majority of our campuses have not had an LGBTQ plus um, uh, leader. And yeah. how has that been for you? It's a great question. So I think it has evolved and changed over time. Yeah. So when you start off and you are new and... Um, and when you're comfortable, I'm very comfortable with who I am, and I want everyone else to be comfortable. And so I just I just talk about us, Rick and myself, and um, here's who we are, and here's what we do. And but we're we're here, and we're going to help lead this institution. And um, and so it has been in many ways 
uneventful. But I do believe there is, it has changed over time. So as you, as you go throughout your presidency, you, you, make, you make a lot of decisions and you make decisions that a lot of people find that are unpopular, yeah. but they are the right decision for the long-term sustainability of the organization, which is what my eye is always on. Yeah. Um, I, have, I have this institution for just a short period of time. I gotta set it up to make sure that it lasts forever. And I don't want, it, I don't want the fall to be on my, on my watch. Um, that's not going to happen. So I'm setting it up. Um, and so what I find happens is as you, as you're in a role longer and you continue to make decisions that people that are unpopular, then all of a sudden your identity becomes kind of a little bit of a scapegoat or it becomes, it becomes a part of the mix. It becomes a part of the conversation and it manifests itself in really odd, strange ways yeah. that you did not see before. And so, um, and so it, it started off very kind of smoothly. And then over time, as you lead and mature in your leadership, um, it, I'm not going to say it becomes a problem, Jay, but, but you, I'm very much aware of environmental scanning and you start picking up on things. Mm-hmm. And you start realizing, I think this is a part of the, of the mix. And I, I hear, I, I hear it, and it's in there. And these are all the, the they're the, they're the small microaggressions that we hear a lot about. Yeah. And but there is a cumulative effect, and I do believe that it has become an issue over time, and it wasn't at the beginning. That's and really it, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, there, there's a chapter here. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a, but I think it's it's in how people make sense of your leadership and your qualities and your traits and your characteristics as you continue to make the hard decisions. Yeah, and it it all of a sudden it started. I started realizing I think this is becoming maybe an issue, and and there it's there's it's no one talks about it. <laughs> yeah, but but you know if you're paying attention. And as a, as and when you grow up gay on a farm surrounded by 100% heterosexuality, you, you are sensitive. You're you're looking for you are you're aware of your environmental scanning. Yeah. And um, so anyway, that's that is how I answer that question, and that is not that's kind of a very turbid and it's an unclear. But I'm I'm processing this in real time. But I think that's a part of the mix. Well. As am I, and I appreciate yeah. the privilege and the trust <laughs> to even think aloud in this context. But because yeah. I'm, I'm also thinking about there's an element in some ways, if you will, of, of you know the the visible and the invisible, um, uh, yeah. you know, elements of diversity that um, you know being um, uh, a lesbian or a gay person brings that. Uh, women who are the first and or people of color or obviously those who are women of color and and who may confront these experiences in different ways. Um, 
but I, I think a lot um, yeah. about how do we prepare leaders who, um, 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 you know, who look more like the population of our country than the historic white archetype um, that right. Bates and associates have, have captured. Right. And, um, and, and you know, more importantly also, how do we help support those people um, right. through um, the inevitability of, of these jobs are hard no matter who you are, period. But there yeah. are even extra weight um, that goes. And I loved your notion of um, growing up in a heterocentric world um, uh, <laughs> and, and, and being different and knowing that and that equipping you with something like a superpower in terms of attending to your environment. So right. uh, yeah, the, reason I, the reason I say that is, you know, people, there, there is still this, this kind of belief that you learn to be gay. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, I'm surrounded. I'm in rural Iowa, <laughs> surrounded by hog farmers, and I'm searching for anything that could possibly be um, who I am, and yeah. uh, I'm not finding it. So it, it's 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 not there, um, but but it, it probably is there. But um, uh, but yeah, it's it's um, and and the, the support that you mentioned is so incredibly important, and I am. Man, I've got this. I've got support from my my chancellor and my board of governor, my governing board, yeah. and my chancellor. They walk the talk. Um, they are in this. They are so committed to what we're doing in Colorado and at Colorado State. And um, I tell you, I, I um, uh, that is the support, and that's the support you need uh, to be the best leader you can be. And um, and I've been I've been blessed by having that. hundred percent. Yeah. Tim, um, Rosabeth Moth Canner says that you know leadership's not an individual sport, but but uh, you know a team sport. Um, not her words. She says you know yeah. it's not a solo act. It's duets, trios. It's you know small quartets. What do you look for when you're creating that team that you're working with, that uh, um, creating that ensemble? You know, what I'm looking for, I, I'm assuming that when they get to you, that, that they've got the confidence, that they, they know what they're doing. I, so let me just as a baseline that they've got the yeah. knowledge. But Jay, what's so important to me is a sense of humor. Um, um, because I spend more time with these men and women than I do the people that I, I love at home, that I'm married to. Yeah. And so they become so important to you, the, the, the team that you're building because you spend so much time together. So I'm looking for a group of people that I enjoy being around. A group that can, um, I can make them better, they can make me better. Um, a group with a sense of humor where we can laugh and we can be ourselves and um, be vulnerable when we need to be vulnerable. So it is all of those human qualities that create cohesiveness, which is this desire to belong. And the desire to belong is based, I believe, on people being real and authentic again, people who can share their pain points, their vulnerabilities. Um, and then help, and then and then the rest of us support them and get behind them. So it's, 
that's what I'm looking for is, is real. Well, it, it, you, you sound like almost every survey throughout our entire careers that, that uh, uh, what are the important qualities you're looking for in your graduates? And it's almost never um, uh, the, the professional competencies, the technical skills. It's, as they say, the soft skills. That's what I hear you holding up. So thank it you. Is. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the human skills um, in a very high-tech world, I, it's the high-touch uh, that, that reaches me, um, and I, I, I still think it, re it, it and I help, I'd like to think that I touch other people. Yeah, yeah. What's your advice for those who aspire to leadership in higher education? You know, I think it's um, don't overwork the process. Um, you know, to be a leader in higher ed, there is, I find people take shortcuts um, as they ascend. And I think those shortcuts, I think there's value in spending time getting to know an organization and rank and file, whatever that looks like. I think a lot of people want to jump to the top role. Um, and it's just, it's not how it works. And it's, so it's being patient, it's taking advantage of opportunities, and it's spending time maturing and developing as a leader. I find today so many people are taking shortcuts and I see it and I hear it. And um, when I look at a Vita or resume, I can always tell someone, I can say, you know, you have done the hard work, I can tell, I can see it. And when I talk to someone who's done the hard work, I know it. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to someone who's done all the shortcuts, I just, it's, it's not going to work for me. So I say to others, spend the time developing yourself, spend the time understanding your business, your craft, the technical competencies and the human competencies. Lay low, do good work, don't overwork it but take advantage of the opportunities and get good mentors. That, that's. I really appreciate the power yeah. of that message. Uh, I'll say, bloom where you're planted. The best way to get another opportunity, a bigger job is to do the job that you have exquisitely <laughs> well. And that usually doesn't happen in, uh, in a nanosecond. That takes sometimes years. It does, it doesn't. So there are people who are very impatient. And I just said, you know, you can, you can, you can do all the shortcuts, but it's not going to serve you well in the end. I just think there's going to be, um, there's value in taking the time to develop yourself. Yeah. My mentor, Dr. Marilyn Root, Robert, it, it, or it, uh, Dr. Marilyn Root at um, Boston University always said, Tim, lay low and do good work let your work speak for who you are. And that has never let me down. So um, I, I, I pass that on. F fabulous. I'm going to move us into what I'm going to call a lightning round, Tim. Yeah. Shorter questions, I hope. Yeah. And you can answer at whatever length that you would want. But okay. if you will, who has most influenced you? Dr. Stephen Beebe was my mentor at Texas State University. Um, he is probably the leading textbook author in the field of communication. Um, he's been with me every part of my journey. 
Um, today, when I hear words coming out of my mouth, it's those it's it's his words. So that's yeah. how I answer the question. It's like, who do I hear most often coming out of my mouth? It's it's that beautiful person. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> what book has most influenced you? Um, yeah, I, I think I've got two. Two, Jay. The first one is um, uh, the Devil's the Devil's Highway by Roberta uh, Urea wrote a book about immigration in the United States. Um, it's a complicated story. It's a it's a true story about a coyote bringing across immigrants across the border. Um, it's a tragic story. It's a real story. But embedded in the story is so much. It's so incredibly valuable and important to understanding about the the United the story of the United States. It's it's a much bigger story than just immigrants. It's it's about all of us. And then the second one is very practical. It's Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I read it. Um, I, I work part time for that organization. I live by those seven habits. Um, that today is still. Um, my software that has allowed me to be effective. Wonderful, wonderful. You have a fondest memory looking back at William Jewell College and what you experienced there. Yeah, that very clearly, Dr. Gordon Kingsley, my president, um, I took a, uh, a year long, not because I wanted to, but because Dr. Lois Ann Harris forced me to do this, it was a poetry class, three hours every Wednesday morning in his home in front of the fireplace for an entire year. And I was not prepared. I didn't have, you know, I, I'm surrounded by very bright young men and women talking about words and what words mean. And I'm just a kid from the farm going, I don't get this, but I, I, I was in it till the very end and man, I grew, I loved it. And I love that man. So awesome. That's yeah. cool. Is there a favorite tradition at a place you've attended or served that you would hold up for our audience? Yeah. My, um, at, at Colorado State University, my spouse, um, we started a tree lighting ceremony that has become very um, important Uh the campus was really kind of minus anything um, holiday. And so we started a tree lighting as a way of just um, of um, marking the beginning of a holiday. But why that is so important, Jay, is that um, my spouse grew up with, uh, in, in severe poverty with no Christmas tree and always wanted one. And what he would do, he shared this story with me, which kills me. Um, other families would trim the bottoms of their tree as they put the tree in the stand, he would collect those trimmings and he would tape them to the window in their trailer house and put lights on it to give the impression that they had a Christmas tree. Wow. Wow. So he started at, at Texas, or he started at, at Colorado State. We, we have a Christmas tree, a tree that he's identified that we decorate every year. We light it as this is a symbol of hope on our campus. This is the light that's gonna take us forward. And whatever whatever religion and spirituality you have, it's, it's a tree of light. And, um, but it all comes from, from his desire to have that symbol in his trailer growing up because of, of and the importance of that. So that's an important symbol. 
Love it. Um, and you're right. Um, whether it's a celebration of Kwanzaa or Hanukkah or Christmas, light is the powerful symbol um, that it unites is. all of those really different traditions. Um, and uh, well, yep. wonderful, wonderful. Well, I, you know, I often ask people, if you hadn't worked in higher education, what would you have done? You've done so darn many things, but is there something else out there that, uh, you know, that, that you think, gosh, I wish I'd have been an astronaut. Yeah, um, I've, I've always wanted to be a ballet dancer. Ah, there you go. <laughs> I love it. No, I kid you not. I, I, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a board of trustees at Colorado Ballet up in Denver. Um, I've always been associated with ballet companies wherever I end up. Um, is, if, I, if I had to do it all over again, um, I, I see myself much, obviously much younger in, in pursuing that pathway. Fabulous. Thanks. <laughs> so as, as, as we move towards our wrap up of today's uh, um, episode, I, yep. one of our traditions is we like to close by inviting you talk in whatever ways you'd like about, if you will, the organizational DNA that has made CSU Pueblo such a labor of love for you over these last six years and as you head into a seven. Yeah, I think I think um, what has surprised me so much about my university and the DNA of the students is their capacity for empathy. I have not seen this at other places where I've worked, but they they get behind each other, and they get be and the people they get behind and support are not the people that you would expect. That, that would normally get the support. So um, from our homecoming queen to, um, there's, there just since there, there's, there's underdogs who emerge on our campus as the winners. Yeah. And this is not how it normally works at other places. Beautiful. And people rally behind these folks, um, whether they are autistic, um, whatever, whatever the, the difference might be, and I don't know where that comes from. It's, it's when I joined them, it was there. And I just said, my God, what a gift. Let me take this. I can work with this. And we can teach a lot of other people what to do with this. Um, and so, Jay, that, that's, that's really been, uh, it's been the honor of a lifetime and continues to be the honor of a lifetime to lead um, this university and its students and its faculty and its staff. Well, there's something very powerful um, in the American psyche about the underdog. And yeah. um, I have no doubt that that was probably um, the, the environmental scanning that led you to discern that was probably a part of saying, yes, this is the right match. I, for me. You, that, you just say that that's beautiful. That's exactly, um, yeah. You just nailed it. That that's why I'm there. That's why I'm there is because of um, that's who I am. That's who I will always be, and um, I identify with those students and um, want to help them be all they can be. And they, and they they go off and do as you as you know. Yeah. With an education, they they go off and um, do beautiful things. Tim, 
Thank you so much for joining us on Leaders on Leadership, fitting it into a holiday schedule. <laughs> I'm really grateful for um, your willingness to share um, so openly and so candidly. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I want our listeners to know that I we welcome your suggestions and thoughts about leaders we should feature in, in future segments. Um, you can send those to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcast on the Academic Search website and wherever you find your podcasts. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transition and through leadership development activities that serve both current and future, future generations of leaders in the academy. Um, Tim Mote, what a great pleasure to share this time with you. We um, wish you well as you run out um, uh, this great presidential arc at CSU Pueblo. And um, I wish you well as, as you continue to be on holiday. Thank you for joining us. You bet. You bet. Thank you, Jay.